Hey, this is Ruben, and nobody asked me to do this. What's up? This is Joe. No one asked me to do this. Hey, everybody. This is Betsy, and nobody asked me to do this. Welcome to the show. We have a special guest with us today. Her name is Jashana Narabemi. Jashana Narabemi is a feisty spirituality blogger and sassy tarot reader whose mission is to bring joyful relief to those who are struggling on their path of self-actualization. She's no stranger to the Jehovah's Witnesses. She was shunned by her family and friends when she decided she had a mind of her own. She survived homelessness all while working three jobs to put herself through college where she, ironically, studied drama. Jashana considers herself an empath, light worker, and twin flame on the inside, and a mama, wifey, and crazy cat lady on the outside. I've known you since you were a little girl, and I was very excited to have you on the show. Interesting fact, <laughs> this is your third last name, is that correct? Yes. Yes. All right, great. It is a combination of my maiden name and my husband's bachelor name, so we oh. combine it. He, oh wow! I was Naranjo growing up, and he was B. Miller, and we smashed them together because we progressive as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> they um, Betsy they denounced their last names. I like it. I denounce mine. Is that all it takes? Just I denounce it, or do you have to legally do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, we had to pay and go yes. to court and appear before yes. a judge. But a lot of us don't know that we can do it. Like, it, it wasn't until after I got married that I even realized that I didn't have to have, I didn't have to get married to be able to change my name. You know what I mean? Right. I also got married super young. I was 19. So like, there was a lot I didn't know. If you feel like you're in a new place in your life where you've left your old identity behind, absolutely like go for that name change. It, it feels wonderful. It's life affirming. So you became a Jehovah's Witness through your parents. How were they introduced to the organization known as the Jehovah's Witnesses? My dad was converted as a teenager when okay. he lived in Ecuador. Missionaries came over there and did what they do. My dad's story is fascinating because he, his dad was a communist party leader in Ecuador. They were all like, well... My grandmother, his, my dad's mom was Catholic. And so there was kind of like, there was strife around religion and stuff. And my, uh, when my dad was preached to by the J dubs, he saw it as inspiring and uplifting. And he dreamt of going to New York. They were dirt poor. My dad would tell me stories about how like him and his four or five other siblings would be on the street in Ecuador selling food for change. And so for him, getting connected with the JW missionaries was a huge opportunity for him, a way out of the poverty and what he saw as like squalor and, and suffering in Ecuador, which his siblings didn't agree with him, but my dad wanted more. And he caught that vision of the American dream through the, the JW missionaries. So I think that was really interesting. His friends pooled their money together and bought him a one-way ticket to New York. So he ended up connecting with the witnesses in New York. And he immigrated when he was a teenager, like 17 or 18. And he only had like 100 bucks in his pocket. So he was totally <laughs> adventurous and rebellious for, you know, for his time, for his culture. But it's interesting how like he rebelled into like a cult. <laughs> and I rebelled out. <laughs> so it's ironic to me now that like, I don't have a relation, a good relationship with my dad, because I keep trying to tell him like, no, I, I did what you did, dad. I followed my heart. I followed my path. I left my family behind to pursue what was meaningful for me, just like you did. But he's so, you know, caught up in the dogma that he doesn't appreciate the full circle aspect. Your mom, she was really young and your dad was a little older. Just for the listeners to know, I know Jashana since he was like, how old were you when I met you? Like nine? You were just a little yeah, girl. I think so. I went to your house. Yeah, because you were best friends with my cousin. Yeah. And whenever we would visit him in San Diego, you were there and you were like family to me from a young age. I, You know, it turns out we did the 23 and me recently. We were like, oh yeah, we kind of are <laughs> cousins. 
Right. Uh, but that's pretty cool. We've known each other a long time. Yeah. And I remember when we would go to trips, I would go on trips with him and his mom. And the first time I went to your house, you were like giving us a grand tour of this for me because I was a poor kid. <laughs> for me, it was a mansion. You know, we're we're Latinos. So like when we when we went to Kingdom Hall, it was all in Spanish. And a lot of the witnesses in our area were you know, of modest means too. And so for us to have a two-story house in the suburbs was like we were the Beverly Hills Latinos of the Jehovah's Witness organization. You know what I mean? Like people, I remember people regarding me differently because like I was a quote-unquote rich kid, but I didn't feel like that. Well, I mean, you would see my dad at Kingdom Hall and that'd pretty much be it because my my mom and I lived upstairs and my dad lived downstairs. So the interesting thing about my upbringing was that it was all a facade. At Kingdom Hall, we were an exemplary Jehovah's Witness family, right, in the community. Everybody thought, oh, well, they've got it made. They've got this big house and, you know, he drives a Mercedes Benz and whatnot, whatever. And so, like, there was this facade of opulence and of prestige and stuff, even within the the congregation, that they just didn't know my parents' marriage was broken and they were putting up a front for the for the community. Betsy, do you relate with that a bit because of your father and his business? I'm over here snarking and, you know, but yeah, <laughs> my father... Folks knew he was a Jehovah's Witness, but if you were to visit my house, you weren't going to see much of him, very similar to yours. Like, people that came over that were not mm-hmm. adult Jehovah's Witnesses wouldn't see much of him because mm-hmm. he just, he didn't like people. But, yeah. you know, yeah, but yeah, my father had a successful business. It was rough because uh, at Kingdom Hall, they would sing together, they'd go preaching together. But then at home, like as, like, as soon as the garage door hit the ground it was fights you know it was um abusive language emotional abuse sometimes physical abuse um i found out later that my my dad was just like very very good at at cheating like they never discovered my mom never had like actual proof to convince the elders and one time she got super close she found like a naked picture of this other woman in his briefcase and she took that to the elders and you know the good old boy club they they defended i don't know what sort of backroom deals my dad had with the elders but he got away with it and it wasn't until finally when my dad requested a divorce that that's when my mom was like okay this and because of that other woman or whatever so and my dad remarried so i think that whoever he was having an affair with was probably the woman he married she happens to be a super nice lady i think she's very nice i hate the way they went about it because like they fucked up my childhood (laughs) um but i remember like being six years old and telling my dad who's like really tall scary looking dude you remember my dad right yes like he looks just like he has a permanent scowl on his face. He's just like an angry looking dude. And I was like six telling my dad, like, why don't you and mommy just get a divorce? Like, what's the big deal? This is the 90s. <laughs> right? Like, right. I, re- I remember kids at school, like having two homes and two sets of toys and two bedrooms. And I was like, this isn't a bad deal for the kid. You know, mom's happy dad's happy i get two sets of everything like this is not a bad deal that was my my reasoning as a kid and i couldn't understand why they were forcing you know this this domestic arrangement just because some invisible dude in the sky doesn't like happiness do you have siblings i do they're much older than me they're 18 and 20 years older than me so i feel like i was brought up as an only child yeah even though i have siblings i'm estranged from everybody though betsy i don't like i don't talk to anybody both of your siblings are both your mother and father's biological children yes so you were kind of like a surprise Mm -hmm. you were kind of a surprise well the story about the surprise is that i'm the (laughs) prayer answered Right. So my mom and dad have been struggling through their marriage for years. Right. Like my brother and sister, like they they always resented me because they said, oh, you don't know how good you have it, Deshauna. Like 
we we grew up so poor in New York or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, I'll take poverty and a happy family over opulence and abuse any day. Right. Like, screw you guys. You know what I mean? Like, but whatever, I digress. So <clears throat> fast forward to when they all moved to California. My dad's getting some on the side or so my mom suspects she's getting older. She's in her late 30s. She really wants to, ha she's lonely because she's getting the empty nest syndrome. My brother and sister are off doing their own thing. They're, they're pretty much adults now. And, you know, my mom is by herself at home, lonely as shit, praying every day for a little girl to come and keep her company. And then lo and behold, even though the doctors all told her she couldn't have any more kids, right at around 40 years old, I come along to like answer my mom's prayer, I guess. That's how she treated me. I was there for her. I right. existed to for for her pleasure. You know what I'm saying? So I became yeah. trained poodle. Right. You know what I'm saying? And to fill like, some void she had within herself too, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So like imagine what a mind fuck that is. Right. As a little kid to be like, oh, I'm a like no pressure, right? Right. <laughs> Plus then like at a young age we moved from we used to live in Huntington Park which is like the ghetto. <laughs> And we went from there, uh, from a very modest little house, um, to Downey, which is like Latino Beverly Hills. The house in Downey was their crown jewel, their most prized possession. They would always have like people come over for fancy dinner parties. They bought a baby grand piano and got me lessons so I can play to impress their guests. My dad would pay for fancy vacations for my mom and me to take. So probably so he would have time to get his side piece, but. My mom and I traveled all over the world when I was a kid. I just didn't realize why, like, why it was happening. I'd rather be at Disneyland when I'm nine. That's why, like, Ruben, when you came over to visit, you were like, what's all this papyrus and, like, Greek <laughs> ornamental <laughs> sculptures and all this stuff? Because my mom had, like, the gaudiest taste in furniture and decor. So it looked like a museum, like, and everything was white, too. Even the carpet was white, white marble. Why? So I lived in like this very sterile, loveless museum type house. My parents were also very super strict with me, not just because they're Jehovah's Witness, but I feel like culturally too, as Latinos, I wasn't really allowed to go out much or have friends or all that stuff. So I was pretty much like living the whole glass menagerie lifestyle. You want love, you got to earn it. If you bring home an A, how come it's not an A plus? I was trained to be a perfectionist. I relate so much of what you're saying, particularly, you know, with your mom, because I have three siblings. My short, long story short, I have three siblings. I have two older brothers and a younger sister. Um, my brothers and I, while I do not call them my half brothers, it, I, I get really upset when folks refer to them as my half brothers. We do not have the same biological mother. My father married my mother and. I had my, you know, so she adopted them, but, um, mm -hmm. but my mother wanted a little girl and like she had certain, like it wasn't in vitro, but it was like she had a fallopian tube scraped or something to get pregnant with me. So yeah, no pressure. Same as wow. you, like no pressure to be perfect, but a ton of pressure to be perfect. And same with the get the oh piano gosh, so yeah. you can perform and the fancy dinner parties. And yeah, I would, but I wasn't an only child at all. Brothers are older than me, but not by much. I mean, seven and ten years. But you were the you were the baby girl. You were the princess. I was the baby girl. I was the princess. Yes, I was the baby that she had mm -hmm. surgery to get pregnant with, and I had to live up to, and I didn't. I'm a huge Bad disappointment. I'm a huge disappointment, but because <laughs> they're a huge disappointment too. So that whole pressure that you felt did that affect how you felt about religion? I think so. I mean, especially since I saw how, like, my brother and sister let down my parents. Or at least, you know, from, from a little kid perspective, all I can see is there's a lot of yelling going on. What's the source of this? Oh, yeah, mom and dad are pissed at brother and sister again. <laughs> what did they do this time? Because I was supposed to be the answered prayer, I had this weight on my shoulders. I need to do better than my brother and sister. I need to make my parents proud. I just dove right into perfectionism philosophy and just tried to be the best Jehovah's Witness, the best daughter, the best student that I could be to make them happy. My parents' strife wasn't just with 
my siblings it was with each other too so i felt like responsible like maybe if i'm good enough they'll be happy like maybe they won't fight as much maybe maybe i came to help fix this broken home it sounds to me like your family was dysfunctional and then was also jehovah's witnesses right i can't separate the two they're so enmeshed yeah that i'm still healing from my time as a j-dub i've known ruben for a long time and when he first started doing his his community outreach work with um xjw groups like i don't know over 10 years ago i was happy for him but from a distance like i didn't feel ready to participate actively in that community right and like i don't know if i ever told you this ruben but like i I didn't ever mean to like by not participating make you feel like you weren't doing something important i was i was always proud of you for doing it i just never felt like ready to do it Right. I never felt I never like, felt anything but grateful <laughs> gratefulness. <laughs> so everybody's different. It's it's not for everyone and, or or it's not for everyone and it's definitely something that if you need is there and if you don't, you don't. And if at the time is not good for you, it's time's not good for you. And when it is, then you like show up on a podcast and tell your story. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. No kidding. For the longest time, I remember um, thinking, good for him. Like, he's doing this for the community, and I hope it helps people. But I don't need it. Like, I was so arrogant about, no, I put this shit behind me. Like, I'm over that shit. Like, I'm above it. I went through this whole skeptic phase after I was disassociated, where I was like, anything having to do with religion, even if it was atheism groups, I was like, I don't want anything to do with God or hating God or religion or whatever just get me the fuck away from all that shit forever it was interesting because i didn't realize that at the time i was suppressing my own my own healing growth when it comes to like the trauma of being indoctrinated because it's trauma it absolutely is interesting now that just like recently hired a life coach like last year because pandemic (laughs) pandemic was like you have some shit to work on so here (laughs) I'm going to bring up all kinds of like old skeletons from your closet that you've been ignoring for far too long. And because you're in quarantine, you can't avoid it anymore. Yeah. And that's when, <laughs> and that's when I, I found your podcast, you know, Ruben reached out again and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this show. Like I was crying and laughing at every episode you guys are putting out. And I was like, I can't believe how 15 years later, I'm still feeling so strongly about all this stuff this needs to be worked through. Like, I can't ignore this anymore. And I hired a life coach. We've been writing some burn letters to help me get over some shit. And I was like, I need to share my story to see if that'll help me in my healing process. So this is totally selfish for me, y'all. Like, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to heal through speaking. Sometimes things that you do for yourself can help others. And it's funny how this all worked out because I always tell the story of how I woke up and it was this young girl, right? Really young. How old were you? <laughs> that happened in 2004. <laughs> there was a young girl in 2004 oh, that thought she knew it all. Wait, you're uh, the one? She's with the, the big one. brother? Yeah. yeah, she's the one. Yep. <laughs> what? So, yeah. So in 2004, when I was on my way out and walking out the door, this young woman who was going to college and learning all this stuff compared to Jehovah's Witnesses to Big Brother. And at that moment, it connected for me and it woke me up. Okay. So, I'm so... I'm, this is... Okay. This is good. <laughs> so how did yeah, you say isn't that? It? It's how epic. It is. It's so, it's so, it's, it's, I, I was it's, 19. I had to whip out my calculator because I'm that bad at math. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but how did you say it? Like, so were you just passing by one day in the kingdom hall? Cause, and no, 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 like, no. Okay. No. So you go ahead, Deshaun. We, we went down to visit um, my cousin in San Diego, my husband and I, cause we were like freshly married and I was like, well, okay. So I don't know if you guys saw my disassociation letter. Yeah. It was yes. uh yeah, so my husband and I got married the day after I I wrote that letter because we were going to elope and I was like, well, I need to get this off my conscience because you can't fire me, I quit, right? Right. And he was not a so Jehovah's I was for context. No. Yeah, he was a cute worldly boy I couldn't resist. So <laughs> I was still like in the throes of that rage of like 
I just can't believe like how influenced I've been by this organization that's trying to like manipulate my entire existence. And I was in that when, when we went down to San Diego to visit my cousin, who is uh, Ruben's best friend from childhood. So Ruben was there and he was going through some shit. Okay. And maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but like from what I could tell you were, you were having your doubts too. Like you were conflicted because there was some shit that happened with like an ex you had reconnected with. I think you guys did the dirty. Before you continue, <laughs> it wasn't an ex. It was somebody that I was having sex with that lived in the complex that was a Jehovah's Witness. And I was, oh, okay, okay. and I was on the, I was kind of like on the outskirts. I wasn't really going to meetings and I was like giving myself a chance to think about it. I wanted to uh-huh. think about what was i wanted to live my life and disconnect from the organization a bit although i didn't disconnect from the people i was hanging out and partying and stuff i obviously had doubts and i knew that something Mm -hmm. was wrong so Mm -hmm. that's what i was telling you about when i was sitting down and y'all are what like sitting around the fire give me context (laughs) we're in a living room we're in a living room and there are other people in this living room yeah no okay no yeah who was there? Well, the three of us. No, oh, it was just Oni. the three of us. Oni, it was yeah. Yumi and Oni. Okay. Thing also too, there was tension because like my cousin, he he never got baptized, so he was enjoying the loophole. You know, of course, like he could live his life and still be connected with the family. And I was like, you know, I was mad at him about it. Like I don't care anymore. Obviously, I love him. We we're connected and everything now. But back then, I was like. How dare you use the loophole? <laughs> like, right. there's people suffering. Like, right. I lost my whole family. Like, how dare you? <laughs> like, because some people, I feel like, well, I got baptized super young, though, too, Betsy. I was nine when I got baptized. So yeah. I've been trying to live the goody goody JW life for a long time when I finally broke free when I was like 16. Well, 16 in my heart and then 19 publicly right before I got married. So for me it was a long struggle and to see somebody like just basking in the joy of the loophole for me was like infuriating yeah no Um, i get it i was i was baptized when i was 10 i was disfellowship for the first time when i was 16 and i have a cousin still who is she's 44 she's older than i am and she still is not baptized everyone knows you know and i don't really hate on her for it i'm like huh so you're sticking it to the man you know now at my life, in my point, I am in my life now. But when yeah. I was younger, it was like, you know, I felt the exact same way. Like, man, just because you yeah. didn't go under the water when you were, you know, in elementary school, you can do whatever. Yeah. And the family still helps you and talks to you and all that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in retrospect, it was my own stupid decision for going under the water. Yeah, but Not was my cousins, it? you know? But was it? But was it? <laughs> but was well, it? anyway. Uh, where were we? So we're in the living room. The three of us are talking. You know, my cousin, he's going from the perspective of, of his loophole. I'm going from my perspective of, you know, fuck the system. And Ruben is like, he's weighing his options. That's how I saw it. Ruben was like, you were in between, like, you weren't sure what to do. And that's when I just basically blurted out, like, but Ruben, like, how could you even... <laughs> How could you even have any doubt? Like their big brother, and oh, that's when like yeah. mic dropped. Mic dropped. It, uh, let me tell you something. That is one of the most impactful moments in my life because uh, I had read Big Brother. <laughs> I had read that book, and and the funny thing is that I remember sitting in the Kingdom Hall at times, making writing stories about the organization, and I model it after Big Brother. It just when you said it, it was like I woke up. I just I, I had the mm-hmm. I had a flash of light. It, like somebody punched me. I mean, I've been punched, and it's the same exact thing that happened. Uh, the flashlight, every doubt that I ever had came back, and I then mm-hmm. at that, from that moment I knew. And the weird thing is that from that moment I never had any doubt at all, not one single doubt. But it's just, it always amazes me to think back about that because it's like the combination of you saying it, right? And me mm-hmm. having thought mm-hmm. these thoughts, read those books that usually aren't very encouraged, you're not encouraged to read very much. 
for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, mm -hmm. it was gone. I was weighing my options because, uh, just to give a little bit more backstory, at that point, the person that I had sex with was a Jehovah's Witness and she was this fellowship. I felt like I was being a hypocrite, right? And I was weighing my mm -hmm. options whether to go and just be like, hey, just, just fellowship me because I haven't been doing it. And you said mm -hmm. that and that was over. Game over. Yeah, so because my point was like, why are you letting yourself feel guilty over something that's none of their goddamn business in the first place? But yeah. like, you know what's really funny, Betsy? Because Ruben goes on and on about Big Brother, like George Orwell. But like, I hadn't ever read the book. I was talking yeah. about Big Brother the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ruben's you... mind just exploded. Just there's a whole. You, there's Again. a Big Bang just happened inside of Ruben's brain. It's, it's hey, you know what though? In my head, you were talking about George Orwell. We're not here to change people's minds, but conversations are important, and. The fact that you were able to have that conversation and say something critical about the organization helped me kill any doubt I had. And it was it was done mm -hmm. at that moment. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's not about people changing your mind. It's about you being ready to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's what I always tell people. You don't change people's mind. People, don't, people change their own minds when they're ready. Yes. And yeah. I was ready. I was ready, and you you just happened to say it at the perfect time. Yeah. Take that, Jeff. I was the straw <laughs> that broke your camelback or whatever that saying is. You sent us a mm. few copies of some letters, right, that you wrote when you were uh, uh, a kid. Mm -hmm. Those were really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really deep. Like you said, um, I lack a solid relationship with Jehovah. I am bored and offended at the meetings. Yeah. Like, bored and offended. like. You you were introspective. Mm -hmm. The girls my age make me mm -hmm. feel like an outsider. God makes me feel like he's too busy busy to return busy. my calls. And mm -hmm. I also noticed your handwriting was different in one of the letters where you could tell you were frustrated. The oh first yeah, few, yeah, that one, the the one where you're the long <laughs> the third one. one. Yeah, the third one. You can mm -hmm. tell you're just like ah, oh, yeah, dear Jehovah. Sure. And I like how you write to Jehovah. I was I trying, I had, Betsy. Yeah, you were. Really you were. Because my mom, were. she always told me, like, she had a deep personal relationship with Jehovah. And that always made an impression on me. She she was so, like, passionate about, like, well, if you believe it and if you talk to him, then, you know, he'll respond and stuff. And I was, like, so lonely in my childhood that Jehovah became my invisible best friend. You know what I mean? Right. But right. it was like these these notes that I started jotting down, well, that I shared with you because like I saved these because they were they were the beginning of the end of my faith in, in that religion. But because I was always taking notes at Kingdom Hall, you know, what else could you do? You could either, you know, be spoon fed the bullshit or you can analyze it and break it down. And I got to the point where I was analyzing it and analyzing like myself against this filter that I had been brought up with. So that's why, like, I was writing to Jehovah to see, like, okay, best friend in the sky, help me process this because, like, where the hell are you? What's going on? Like, I can't do this anymore. This feels one-sided. And that's so what you said in one of the time. letters. You told you told him that you felt like it was a one-sided friendship, you know, in mm -hmm. one of your letters. I mean, it was the basic gist of it. I think it was the three-page letter I'm looking at. Yeah. She yeah, said, you define friendship. I think did. friendship is... Is And I love this definition. I think friendship is an emotional alliance whereby two or more beings demonstrate the following qualities. Loyalty, compassion, empathy, honesty, trust, kindness, love, patience, wisdom, and oh yes, forgiveness. Now, I'm only an imperfect human being, although I strive to put such qualities into practice. I sometimes feel fall short of expectations. However, as as uh, previously stated, I am not proclaiming myself flawless as you do. Like, you lit Jehovah up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you picked up on that, Betsy? Yeah. Yeah. Just you, a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I love it, though. It's, it's honest. You saw Jehovah as your friend, which I found very interesting because... For me, like when I was Joe's witness, I saw him as a dad. So when I read these letters and you're talking to him as a friend, I was mm -hmm. like, this is weird. Like not weird, but like I could, 
it was this is different like did you think it was disrespectful <laughs> like how could she talk to how could she talk to, that way how could she talk to our dad that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> why are you oh, talking to our you dad you don't want to like know that? how i talk to daddy now oh boy <laughs> the three-page letter the one that has the staple in it that's the letter that i wrote to basically disassociate myself privately as and a Jehovah's Witness. Like that's I was, how it, I was renouncing my dedication. Yeah, and that's how it read to me. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. She um didn't even write her if I had to go back and do it again over again. I mean, I wouldn't change anything because then I'd change everything. But um I think it would be cool for somebody to write their disassociation disassociation letter to Jehovah instead of to the watchtower. I think that would be cool. Because I mm. thought that was really I thought that was what you were doing. I was like, oh her disassociation letter is addressed to jehovah that's super cool and then i see that you were not actually that cool and wrote i'm kidding um and, wrote a formal, <laughs> and, and no I'm i kidding. lived I'm, in hypocrisy for three more years until yeah. i actually wrote my formal letter, letter to watchtower <laughs> no and i love it i love it it's so short sweet and to the point i saw your disassociation letter and i, and I, I saw the date and i was like yo seriously she woke me up and she disassociated after me. <laughs> yes. And was talking about Big Brother, the TV show, not the book. Oh, boy. Ruben, because you know what? Like, it, what you said before about we don't change other people's minds is yeah. so true. Like, I wasn't trying to change your mind. I wasn't trying to convince you. I was trying to convince myself. Right. You know, right. I, and that makes I sense. I needed to stop living a lie. And that makes sense. Can I just say one thing I found hilarious? One of the notes that you sent us said, I hope the end doesn't come. I'm going to die at the hand of Jehovah. You underlined Jehovah. And then at the bottom mm -hmm. of it, you circled it. And then you put, but, <laughs> but he is love. So sarcastic. But he is love. I'm like, wow. Love. Kill yeah. me. But your love. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, because how fucked up is that, right? Yeah. Well, it's an abusive relationship that you enter into with mm -hmm. this being, you know. Toxic, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sending those letters. They were very fascinating. You're welcome. So this is an email that I wrote to my dad when I was staying with some relatives who are also Jehovah's Witness in Germany because they... They sent me away for a summer, and oh, it was so wonderful. I'm so glad they did. In the three months that I was there, being the introspective person that I am, like, I couldn't help but feel like, what the heck, dude? How come the German J-dubs are so much happier than the American J-dubs? Like, what's, what's going on here, right? Here's an excerpt from the email that I sent my dad. This is from 2003. I just want to be happy. Frankly, the meetings don't make me as happy as they used to. I used to find comfort in being a Jehovah's Witness because it was the one thing everyone in our family had in common. And maybe that's a wrong reason for getting baptized, but I did feel really spiritual at one time, and I think I have acquired wonderful values thanks to what you and mom have taught me based on the Bible. But when words contradict actions, it causes one to question the foundation of one's beliefs, as I have done already. And when the meetings, a place for the family to worship God together, becomes a place for one to put on a nice face for the elders and then come home to the same garbage day after day, it's very discouraging for me. It's not about Jehovah. It's not about being a witness. It's about love. It's about family. It's about what you're willing to do to preserve the love in the family, not what you're willing to do to show God that you're righteous. If you and mom repeatedly rejected the idea of getting a divorce because it wouldn't please Jehovah, then wouldn't it be logical to please Jehovah by preserving your love for one another? What good is it that you two are married if you act as if you despise each other? Furthermore, how can you expect me to be responsible with my own decisions and promises if you yourselves don't value the vows you made to each other? These are the questions and thoughts that plague my mind and cause my depression. I didn't really have to take so many classes last quarter, but after a full month of tears last winter because I had to stay at home, I decided to take as many classes as possible if it meant I didn't have to be at home. I want a happy family, just as any normal person longs for a loving home, and I love you both dearly. That's why I suffer so much that our situation is not a little better. It doesn't bother me to go to the meetings over here, even though out of my own free will, I don't think I would attend anymore for personal reasons. 
the words and actions of our German family go hand in hand. And so it is easy for me to share in their weekly tradition of attending the meetings. But I don't think I have it in me to go to the meetings with you back home. If I did, however, choose to attend once in a while, I would do so in a separate congregation where I would not be reminded of our spiritual troubles. I hope you and mom can find it in your hearts to understand and appreciate my standpoint. I don't intend to change it. I love you. I don't want to wait until paradise for us to be happy as a family. I want us to be happy now. Please, please understand. I don't want this letter to cause further problems in our family. I'm only trying to be honest without risking you walking away from me. Please consider my feelings seriously. I have felt this way for a long time. Love, Deshauna. Wow. Did he respond to that? My brother printed and delivered it to my dad, and I don't think he read it. This was my way. Like, I was on the other side of the planet writing, you know, pouring my heart out to my dad, and I, I think he's, he never got the message. But that's why it was important for me to share it today because being away from them and seeing how another Jehovah's Witness family was, by contrast, was like the beginning of me, like, really questioning the hypocrisy of the life that I was living back home. And that's when it was like all downhill from there when it came to being a Jehovah's Witness for me. If my kid wrote a letter like that, I'd be like so impressed. And to think that it wasn't even read. It just says a lot about you. Well, you are able to articulate a valid point past your anger and resentment. How did you find your happiness after leaving the organization? What was your journey? What did you do once you disfellowshipped? I'm not disfellowshipped. I'm sorry. Disassociated. Thank you. That's a big difference for me. I was like, y'all aren't going to fire me. I quit. After I left, well, I got married the next day. We eloped. I thought that that was going to be the answer. I, I wanted my happily ever after, you know, I grew up with that fantasy of best thing a girl could do is get married, right? I got married and I didn't find happiness. So that was a whole other journey. The first year was brutal because, I mean, first of all, he wasn't a witness. So he didn't even know like what I was brought up with, you know, and he had kind of an opposite upbringing because they were not religious at all. So when I was bringing all of my expectations of, of marriage and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man to the table, he was like, what the fuck is all this shit? Okay. <laughs> well, my husband and I have been together for almost 16 years now in April. And we only recently found out that he's on the autism spectrum. So a lot of our beginning was frustrating because we couldn't communicate effectively with each other, not to mention all of the like garbage trauma that I was bringing to the table. I was seeking happiness. To answer your question, for many years, I was seeking happiness within my marriage and like failing miserably. I had to rediscover what it means to be free and happy. Like, oh my gosh, like, my rebirth happened the day I disassociated myself. Like I, I launched this journey of self-discovery that day. And I thought I was going to find my happy ending in my marriage. It was ironic that later in my marriage, we ended up opening our relationship and I found more happiness in our marriage after we opened it than when we were completely monogamous. It's been a journey. Finding happiness is like a practice. At least for me, that's how I've experienced it. I think that's a human struggle, taking some appreciation in the journey and not the destination. And then when you add the cult shit on top of it, where literally always it was for this end point, it was this constant, it was this constant finish line that you were working towards. Like it makes it a little extra yeah. hard. No, you know, everyone struggles with that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I can't say everyone, everything, everyone does it. But for sure. Like the whole folks, mirage of paradise, right? Yes. Yes. Like with, for us, there was, it wasn't just, okay, we struggle with enjoying the journey and, and not, you know, life's a journey, not a solution, you know, as a human, but like for us, it was literally, it was always this end point. Armageddon like, and then paradise, right? Right. Why not have paradise on earth now? Like if paradise is a state of mind, why not have it now? Why, why be striving for a lesson or, or, you know, accomplishing something other than just enjoying the bounty, the beauty of what we have available to us now? You know, joy is a perspective. 
And it's not always easy to find that perspective, but when we do, it's blissful. I feel that life is full of moments and they're not all going to be joyful. It's just an overall peace that I think that is important to me. And that when you do have those moments of, uh, of, of joy and happiness, you enjoy them while, because that's all you have. And then uh, right. the rest Instead of the Instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. And then the rest of the time, you know, you find your sweet spot and you continue to grow too. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good because at the end of the day, that's all there is. Well, this been I'm, gr- re- I- I'm really excited that the Rubens wake up one moment was about Big Brother of the show. And, <laughs> and not 1984 in the book. Like, honestly, oh I'm just really just, I'm, I'm smirking. I'm just, I'm really happy at what this is going to do to rot Rubens' brain this evening. Um, <laughs> as he questions his existence. So. That's me all the time. I'm always yeah. questioning my existence. Mm -hmm. you know what though you can find like the truth about the universe about life itself by staring at a grain of sand long enough i'm paraphrasing some philosopher it's true like if you pay attention to any aspect of your life any anything about your environment even for long enough you'll start to understand truths about yourself and about the world around you it's amazing. So who cares if it was a TV show and not a book? Like, oh. it doesn't make it any less valuable or meaning- meaningful for Ruben's experience, right? It doesn't. I will think about it with humor and joy and how amazing it is that that happened the way it happens. Wow, Deshana, we covered a lot. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more thing. What would you say to a... Jehovah's Witness, a young Jehovah's Witness woman, let's say, that might be listening to this in secret, what what advice would you give them? I'd say to her, don't waste your gift. What you have in front of you right now is this life that you're living, this experience that you have. And if it doesn't feel good, then then stop doing whatever it is that's making you not feel good and follow your heart instead. You know, use your gift. Because it doesn't matter if Jehovah gave it to you or if it just happened spontaneously or however you want to think about why you have life. That's not what matters. What matters is what are you going to do with it? Are you going to continue to live a lie or are you going to live in your truth? I, love I chose that. my truth. I like that. I like that too. Jashana, thank you so much for coming on our show, speaking with yeah. us, sharing your story. Yeah, thank you. It was super Absolutely. nice to meet you. I was so Thank happy to be. I was so happy to be here when when Ruben found out the big brother did <laughs> not mean. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be all right if I give a shout out for my website? Of course. Oh yes. no, definitely, definitely. Um, tell us about your website. Tell us about what you're doing now. We would love to hear that. My website is missoldsoul.com, and I read tarot and oracle cards. So. If you weren't sure how much of an apostate I am, now you know. <laughs> M-I-S-S-O-L-D.com. You got it. So if anyone's interested in a tarot reading or oracle reading, or you just want to check out my blog, my approach to spirituality nowadays is very, like, tongue-in-cheek. Like, I have a... Ruben knows my sense of humor. Um, I'm pretty nihilistic, but I have my moments where <laughs> if I see something that's beautiful it'll move me to tears too so i just kind of laugh at at life and my hashtag is woo woo fuckery so that kind of gives you an idea of like the approach that i take to spirituality nowadays well jishana thank you it was great having you thank you all right hey, ruben thanks Betsy. did you miss joe we did if you want more joe we know where to go Joe embarked on a journey of self-discovery with our guest, Jashana. They level up their apostasy by Joe getting his first tarot card reading. Here's a sample of the video posted on the Miss Old Soul YouTube channel. And please don't forget to check out our website on MissOldSoul.com. So something to know about the tarot in general, in general is... Uh, the meaning of the cards themselves, you know, if you're just kind of looking at them and what do they typically mean, whatever, archetypally, right? And then there's the, the interpretation of the cards based on the spread that you're doing. 
And then, just to get even more meta, you made an intention for this reading. So there's layers here, okay? My initial reaction to this card was, yeah, it's a card of hope. That's based on the archetype, right? But then when I told you, like, the question that I asked you about faith, that's regarding the intention that you set for this reading. Now let's get to the position of this card is in the biggest hope and biggest fear, okay? I think that this might be a biggest fear. Like, it's not an or situation. I feel like this might be an and. This is having... Uh, faith might be the thing that you hope and fear the most. Okay? So sit with that for a minute. And let's look at the card again because it's a really beautiful card. <clears throat> Here's Joe's highest self, okay, in the middle. All right? All of that energy we tapped into during your meditation earlier, the highest and best version of you, okay? especially with that intention of like what is your calling what is your career path right now notice all of these other stars that are around too that's your community man that's the family that you already have that accepts you <laughs> right here and right now and i could just like burst into tears right now because i get it Ooh, i get it so there's a message that i have for you when I was prepping for this reading I, I believe Joe and I've, I've had my journey where I fought believing I did not want to believe okay but I'm in a place now where I believe everything I'll believe everything <laughs> uh, because to me um, ideas are things and Ruben and I you can ask him about this conversation like we had this epic debate over like you know God exists because God is a word and the word exists. <clears throat> so on a philosophical level, atheism is bogus, right? Um, but whether or not there's an actual power controlling your life, that's a whole different thing. But when it comes to, like, faith, um, I definitely have faith. <sighs> what you call God or don't call, you know, the, the words that we use to describe the power that we feel is irrelevant because it's we feel it and that's enough okay what you call it is dogma really <laughs> um but if you feel it and it makes you feel good if it makes you feel empowered if it propels you to live your best life Lean into that, man. Because who the fuck cares what it's called? And this reading is so... It's its crazy because it goes back into that whole I'm afraid what people think. Like, I, I'm afraid of feeling foolish again. Like, I felt foolish believing that as hard as I did. And do I... High level, with it all on the line, do I feel there's something spiritual? Yes, it has to be something. But I sometimes feel foolish believing that i feel real yeah. foolish believing that but it's crazy it's just okay it's not a coincidence like this whole card reading is it's something that i definitely i can't deny like you're saying things i'm trying to hold back the smile like hold up that's like that makes sense <laughs> don't hold back the smile joe that's the kind of like visual confirmation i need. i hear i am pulling cards like a crazy lady over your does this resonate does that resonate Fucking throw me a bone. I, I can't. It's misogyny. Misogyny. Cis male. Like, I, I gotta be hard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> listen. 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 Uh, listen. Okay. That wasn't even the message that I wanted to tell you. I got on a I uh, went off on a tangent because I, I go off on tangents. Here's the message before they get mad at me. When I was prepping to do this reading for you, I said a prayer because that's what I do to get ready. I clear my energy. I call on my higher self, my spirit team. I have a spirit team, okay? Call me crazy, whatever is my reading. Yo, you came, so fuck you. <laughs> I have a spirit team. Okay, I there. They help me to protect my energy, etc. I do have to work to get ready for the reading, but when I'm doing it for 
other people, I call, I call on their spirit team. Okay. To be present. And I usually just ask for like their higher self to come forth. So I, I'll tap into like what you envision your higher self is, but I see it as like a conscious being. Okay. That's how I imagine it. It's not a conglomeration of ideas for me. Like I use that language for you because of where you're at spiritually. And I respect that. But what I believe is that that's a, that's your dude in the sky is Joe. Okay. okay. I don't have a dude in the sky cause I'm a girl. So <laughs> my dude in the sky is like diva, you know, space queen. <laughs> right okay but your dude in the sky is your higher self in my mind so that's who i tap into to prep for this reading but i also i felt like i had to i said please joe's spirit team come forward if he has any spirit guys that would like to be present for him or have messages for him and like the second the second the words left my lips I can't see them, but I can sense them. There's like a room full of spirit guides here for you, man. Wow. I believe you. That's why I got emotional because of, I've been where, where you are with wanting to believe and feeling like, you know, you don't want to tap into the community because you feel full, uh, like I've been there. Your story is mine. And I was mad that you couldn't be there on the podcast that day because I was like, <laughs> I feel naked with our pandemic. I don't know what to do. Like, because oh, I relate to your story so much. That I was like, okay, so uh, let's look at this card again. The hope card, right? The star. If that's like your higher self in the middle, right? You shining bright and everything. You may not sense them, but the spirit team is around you. And if that's an uncomfortable thought, that's okay. You're earth angels. Think of it that way. You're, you're earth angels, right? Your actual physical team. They're real, okay? And I use real in quotes because to me, your spirit team is just as real, if not more, than the flesh and blood team that you have on earth, okay? But you don't have to believe that. And I'm not trying to convince you either. All I know is what I sensed. And I know that you are well supported on earth and in quote unquote heaven. That's encouraging. Like that's nothing I can like stub my nose at. That's that's encouraging. If this kind of hashtag woo woo fuckery is up your alley, Miss Old Soul is for you. Find her at MissOldSoul.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nobody Asks Us To Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness podcast. Remember, our stories may be varied, but you are not alone. Take off that new personality and create your own. Have a great one.